I've known Josiah for a very long time, almost almost a decade that we have uh, taken the time to get to know each other and uh, and spend time together having coffee. We've walked through some stuff together. Um, he's walked with me as we've gone through church life, and I've been walking with him as he's going through church life. Um, and he is a, a great friend, and I am honored to be able to ask him to come and to invest in in my family. This You guys are my church family, and so it is a privilege and an honor to ask him to come and to bring the word this morning. Josiah, come on up. so much. Thank you. Good morning, Crosspoint. What's going on? You guys have an incredible pastor, an incredible leadership. And I got to let you know uh, a couple things. First off, I, I have roots that go back to this room right here. And you don't, you might not know it. I don't know. How many people have been at this church for more than 15 years? A handful. Okay, just just a, just a couple. So um, I would say 15 plus years. Um, I've I've been coming to this house because this house was a beacon in the region for hungry people to come and to receive and to to, to bask in the presence of the Lord. And that's still what's in this house. And I know there's been a lot of things that have transpired. I know there's a lot of stuff. But I truly believe that this is a well for the hungry and the thirsty to come to and to be in the presence of the Lord. And here's what's beautiful is that when there's a well that's that's like that, I believe it could be stopped up. I believe it could cease. I believe it could stop. But it's a credit to the leadership that says, no, we honor that. No, we honor in this region what God wants to do. And I just, I want to honor you guys. Like, just thank you for being the real deal. And I'm learning more and more. Not everybody is the real deal. <laughs> so when you find people that are, you guys are tremendous. Thank you for being a gift to me. And I sincerely appreciate that. You're amazing. In fact, I was praying in, in worship and asking the Lord, like, is there anything you want to say to to Pastor Craig and Renee? And, and the Lord showed me this picture. It's kind of funny. Um, so I live next door to another church, and that church has Wi-Fi. So I never paid for Wi-Fi because I'm like, I could kind of get their Wi-Fi. But, like, not super good, but, like, it's temperamental Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? So it's like, eh, like, we're close enough that this shows up, and every now and again you can stream a movie or something, and, and it works. But then there's, like, hey, if you want to watch something live, it's just not good enough, right? And, and so, so what did I get? I got Wi-Fi extenders. And then I was cheap, and I got, like, cheap Wi-Fi extenders, which doesn't do a really good job. So you got a better Wi-Fi extender. You know, so I have like seven Wi-Fi extenders in my house, eating up all our outlets, trying to figure out like which one's happy today. You know what I mean? And it's funny, when, when I was worshiping, I felt like the Lord was showing me that like he, you guys are such a Wi-Fi, you are taking what God, the signal that God is already putting forth in your own life, everybody else needs it so desperately. And not just people that attend your church, but people outside of your church. And you have such a comfortability in your own skin that you know who you are. You don't have to pretend to be anything else. And God is literally grabbing that signal and amplifying it out so that other people can tap into what you carry. 
And you're always going to see that what he's doing inside of you is beautiful. So when you go through a season, when you go through a, a challenge, when you go through anything, you, go, you know that you're also, God, I thank you that I'm going through this because there's somebody else that needs this so desperately. And I know that there's been an assault to come against the, the power so that that extender can be plugged in. There's been assaults that the enemy has tried to take that out in you because he doesn't want everybody else to carry what you carry. Because what you carry is so precious. And I know the enemy... He, 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 can't, he can't stop it, but he will try to stifle it or derail it. And, but you're so secure, and I see that in the both of you. I see you guys just so secure in who you are, what you believe, and why you believe it. And you're just like, listen, it, it, I know this isn't for everybody, because not everybody can carry what we carry. But God has graced us with something so precious. That's why my, our kids thrive in it. That's why those we're close to in leadership thrive in it. And that's why you have such a beautiful, supporting family here, because they see it and they go, man, I need what you guys carry. So there's eyes on you, and it's supposed to be. So Father, I just thank you so much for them, God. I'm asking for just a solid grace to rest on them in the most beautiful way, to continue to be exactly who they are. We thank you, God, that you'll take the signal that you're speaking to them and you will amplify it out so that other people can grab it, so that other people can receive it. And so much of the time, it's not going to be exactly what they say. It's just going to be how they responded. It's going to be how they reacted. It's going to be their actions. Those are the things that people will catch so much greater than what comes out of their mouth. But I thank you that also, God, you're crafting even more what comes out of their mouth to match how they live. And it's a beautiful thing through and through. Yeah, God, we just bless that in them. Give them the grace to do that. I thank you that you defend them. And that even as the future comes, Lord, I think that even in this moment, God's defending you in great ways so that there's, there's things you're not even going to realize were attacks until six months or six years down the road. You'll find out, oh my gosh, there was these things were happening, but you didn't even know it because God defended you. So thank you for being that for them, God, because what they carry is too precious and people need it. I need it. Me. I need it. And I'm grateful for them, God. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Awesome. I also saw, uh, while we were worshiping, like, I saw cartons of eggs stacked on top of, top of each other. Does, does Costco have eggs again yet? I went there the other day, there was no eggs. There's <laughs> like an egg shores. I think it's some eggs. Okay, um, <laughs> but I saw cartons of eggs stacked on top of each other, and I thought that was weird. And then when you guys dismissed all the kids, I just felt like... The Lord was just showing me, it was almost like there was all these little, these, these, these precious lives that are hatching soon, and they're coming by the dozens. And like, what you're doing now is such an investment into what's coming, and, and I just reminded of that verse about where, where he, he broods over, like, like a mama hen, you know what I mean? Like, over his chicks, he's protecting them, he's sheltering them, and I just see that for you guys, man, that the kids in this house are so precious. And me and my wife were talking about that last night, we were at a service last night, celebrating a, an anniversary thing and, and it was really, really beautiful and our kids were just up at the front worshiping and just relentlessly going after God and it was just precious and, and what they're walking in is what they see us walk in and, and you guys are setting that example so I just see dozens and dozens of eggs like coming and a day will come where those will hatch to produce more eggs and it will just continue to, to expand and so I love that, that you guys carry that in this house, it's a beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing. Whew, okay, 
Let's jump into some stuff here. I got, I got a lot for you here, and um, I want to pray, and we'll, and we'll dive right in. I want to talk to you about the desperate touch. The desperate touch. Mighty God, we thank you for your word. We want nothing more than to receive from you, Holy Spirit. Not from me, but from you. So we're asking that you would speak clearly, that you would open up minds and hearts to receive. And I'm thanking you, God, for the mighty privilege that we have to become sons and daughters of the Most High God and to hear from you. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 a little bit, so if you want, you can travel there. Jesus has been ministering and seen uh, the power of God move. He's on one side of the lake, and uh, the demoniac is there, and he's delivered. It's this radical story of the man being completely set free. And then he travels across the lake, and this is where we pick up our storyline. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, we're going to uncover some revelation in a pretty familiar text. Some revelation in a familiar text. Luke 8, 40. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Everybody say waiting for him. They were waiting for him. That word waiting is the Greek word prostakao. And it means this. It means to expect or to look for. This was a word that was commonly used in, in the Hebraic culture, in the Jewish culture, when they were looking for the Messiah. There's a difference, and I love talking about this, because there's a difference between the casual approach to your walk with God, where we kind of just sit back in a hammock with an iced tea, with a little umbrella in it, and hope God does all the things that he promised he would do. And there's a difference, that, that's, wait, that's a, a degree of waiting where we're like, eh, maybe it happens, and eh, maybe it doesn't. That's not this. They were eagerly searching for him, expecting him to show once again, far different than a casual approach, not the same thing. This is an attitude of discovering God and seeking out, seeking him out. You see, I've been in church my entire life. Like I was born up there at the altar, <laughs> and then they dragged me to a hospital. Like I've been in church my whole life, okay? That's not a joke. And I've seen so many people that would just casually come to church because, well, it was Sunday morning. And the desire, the passion, the eager, the, the thing inside of them that wants to know the Lord, that is hungry to engage with God, fades away over time. And we become apathetic. And we become casual. And we get a prophetic word and it's exciting and we do nothing with the word. And so the word sits like a seed in our precious little pocket. And we never plant it in good soil. We never water it. We never nurture it. We never pray into it. We never invest into it. We don't do anything with the word. And so the word never comes to fruition and we blame it on the fact that God is not seeing his word through to the end. When he promised us, he watches over his word to perform it. But there's something that you and I have to do in order to partner with what God has promised you and I. We don't just hopefully come thinking, okay, well, it's another Sunday. I guess I'll drag myself to church. I'll endure through a couple more songs. I'll hear another cute little message and then squeak out a couple bucks into the offering when it goes by for the random guest speaker. And then we're going to go watch the football game. And we live a life like that and we wonder why our Christian faith can often become so sad. Because not what it's cracked up to be. And we look at the book and we go, that must have worked really, really well thousands of years ago. But we look at what's, what our life looks like today. We follow testimonies on YouTube and ministries of this, that, and the other. But we don't see it actually happen here. And so our, our frustration 
becomes almost like this, this angst against the Lord, this, this irritation with our own faith, but not enough to deny God. We hope to just squeak by and make it into heaven one day. Friends, that's not what we bargain for. He's to be sought after. He's to be discovered. You see, God is a seeker seeking seekers. He's looking for people who are looking for him. He's not looking for people casually sitting by the wayside. He's looking for people engaging to go after him. You see, if you were alive in the storyline where Jesus is landing on the shore, I'm sure people saw his boat some far off place. I'm sure kids were running around and they were like, the teacher's coming, the teacher's coming. I'm sure they were all excited and word was getting out. And, and if you were alive in that storyline, you would not be, you would probably not have the encounter with the Lord if you just said, you know what? I'm going to sit in my house. If Jesus happens to come up to my door and knock on my door and say, brother, I love you and let me come in to spend time with you. If that, if that does not happen, you're not going to encounter him. You have to get out of the door, go out to the shoreline, meet him. You have to put in effort. You have to do something with what you know is coming. We can't just expect to sit back and let everything fall on our laps. That's what many of us do. Yes, God, if you call me out in the middle of the service and throw five rainbows in the sky and make sure there's a meteor shower and it has to happen on a blood moon, and if all of those things happen, then we're good, and I will do whatever it is you ask of me. And we miss the fact that there's these subtle nudges of the Holy Spirit where he's saying, why don't you take this person out to lunch? I've told you two, three weeks in a row now, you're still not taking them out. And you want to see God move in your life, and yet you won't buy someone's $10 meal down the street at Swami's, which is delicious. we got to go there. And, like, you won't, you won't do the littlest things, the littlest nudges, but if we would be obedient to that, my gosh, he'll meet you in that moment. And the stars don't have to align for you and I to be obedient with a simple step right in front of us. If we can't be obedient with simple steps, man, we'll never step into big things. It's hard to ask for the, it's hard to, to ask for, uh, you know, the, the greatest and most grander things when we haven't proven to be obedient with the little things he's called us to do. Man, I, I don't know any baseball player that hits home runs before they ever learn to hit a single. You, you got to get on, you got to learn to get on base. God, help me to be obedient. And then he sharpens your craft. And then a day comes where you're like, wow, I'm actually, I'm building power. I'm building strength. I'm able to do more of what God's calling me to do. I've got I've to go faster. I've only made it through one verse. So the crowd is waiting for him. They're eagerly awaiting and expecting the revival, the revival, the arrival and the revival of the Messiah. It, Luke 8, 41. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. You see, something happens when you get desperate enough. There's a strong chance that this leader of the local synagogue at one point maybe didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Maybe was like, eh, I don't know. Like, I got my reputation going for me and this, that, and the other. I'm not really sure I can jump on this Jesus train the way everybody else is jumping on this Jesus train. Maybe he believed the stories. Maybe he didn't. Hard to really say. But then his daughter got sick. But then his daughter was dying. And the game changed. 
something rose up inside of the man that said, I'm willing to believe in something crazy if it means that the possibility of my baby girl getting better can happen. I'm willing to go the extra mile. I'm willing to look foolish. I'm willing to do a dance. I'm willing to throw my, myself on the floor. I'm willing to do what it takes in a moment of desperation where I don't care how messy it looks because I'm desperate. When was the last time you had a true desperation rise on the inside of you? Friends, I can tell you it hasn't been very long for me. I've been a season of desperation right now, of just really being desperate for God, where it's like literally Literally, God, if you don't come through, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm trusting you. I'm laying it all on the line, again, to trust you. I, I, I will let you carry me as I do what I know needs, it pleases you. I'm going to do what I know how to do to put one foot in front of the other, walk in integrity and character, and trust the results to be left to you. Because I'm desperate enough not to try to come in here and cut corners and figure out ways to connive myself into what I want. I would rather have you do it your way in your timing, even if it takes much longer than how I would have done it. And friends, that desperation is so vital. What do you have to be desperate for right now? What family member, what friend still doesn't know that God has backslidden, has walked away? Can you get to a place where you can begin to stir up a desperate cry on the inside of you on their behalf? If there's nothing, no thing inside of you, I believe it's in eight, it comes in your born-again DNA to become desperate for something. The mo if you're a believer in the house, Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you're built for a lifestyle of desperation. You're built for it. Jairus is like, I'll throw my reputation on the line. I'll be willing to look foolish. I don't care who sees me. I'll throw myself at the feet because I'm desperate for an encounter with Jesus on behalf of my daughter. Jesus, who only does what he sees the Father doing, gets the green light from the Father and goes with him and the crowds all around him. I'm going to bounce over to Mark's account of the same story. It's found in Mark chapter 5, verse 25. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She'd suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Once again, you have another character in the story that's desperate for a touch. How long was the woman suffering with this condition? How old was Jairus' daughter? So when you find these similarities in Scripture, why, God, are you putting out the same story, and you have this similarity of both of them have a 12-year problem. And it's in the same context. When there's coincidences like that in Scripture, I often believe it's revelation that's hidden between the lines. You read the story at face value, and it's beautiful enough. When you dig into revelatory Scripture, that's why I always ask the Holy Spirit before I read. Anytime I break open the Word, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the things you want me to see. Because I know, I know the, the story. I know how it ends. I know the face value of it. But what's... You guys remember those little magic eye looking things where you look at the weird graph, but you got to like look at your reflection in it and all of a sudden there's a 3D image. Remember those in like high school for me, middle school? Uh, man, crazy stuff. Anyways, it's like that much in the scripture. God, what do you want me to see between the lines here? What are you hiding beneath the surface? Essentially, this other woman, check this out. She's suffering from a constant menstrual cycle, an unhealthy flow, rendering her unable to reproduce because what's needed to spawn new life is actually dying inside of her and being discarded. On the other hand, you have a young woman, coming of age, able to reproduce and carry life inside of her, but the devil is trying to take her out. 
ultimately, what's the devil trying to do? In both cases, kill reproduction. Stop, he's trying to stop something from being carried deep within the believer, so much so that it becomes multiplied to them. He's trying to crack all the eggs in the, in the carton in this house. But we cannot let that happen. Which was God's whole game plan to change the world, which was multiplication. God's crazy game plan was not to send the Messiah in a moment of mass evangelism. It was a, here's the game plan. Give, give me 12 crazy guys, and I will invest so deeply into them, what they have will spread. In the dozen. I can pour so deeply into the dozen, it will spread, and the world will never be the same. That was the Father's great game plan to change the planet. And here we are thousands of years later, still giving our lives to it. It's a picture of the bride of Christ, the church. It's a picture of God's government and authority. Biblical numerology, if you ever do any studies on that, or some fun stuff in there. But whenever you see the number 12, it speaks of government. It speaks of authority. You see that different times throughout Scripture. I'll give you a couple examples here in just a moment. It's the church on the earth. The number 12 is often representing government authority throughout Scripture. David had 12 sons, which became the, I'm sorry, Jacob had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. It was the 12 apostles who established order, authority, and government on the earth, representing the early church. The New Jerusalem in Revelation contains 12 gates and its walls, 144 cubits, 12 multiplied by 12 again over the thing. You get the whole point. There's all these different places throughout Scripture where when 12 is showing up, it's just talking about an established government, something that's happening in that moment. So now we have a woman who's been suffering with this issue for 12 years. We have a young girl for 12, who's 12 years old, who's also being plagued to the point where she's about to die. So if we're reading between the lines, and this is a picture of the bride of Christ, the church, this situation with these two ladies is this. It's a picture of the church that's either one, targeted, they're targeted to be taken out by the enemy so as never to reproduce who they are in the earth. You see, when the enemy targets you, if you have eyes to see it right, it becomes flattery. Dang, the devil wants to not encounter God. What if that was our mentality? I'm, I'm not here to just have another day. I'm here to encounter God. Not here to fill a seat. Not here to do anything else other than to say, God, I'm literally here for you. I want to encounter you. And I'm around other people that want the same thing. So let's do it together. Oh, my gosh. When you make that determination, man, something will happen inside of you. I have to have that. I don't know about you, but I have to have that. You know why? Because I've been in 100 million church services. And church is boring. But he is not. I can listen to a million more songs, and they're beautiful, but it's boring. I can listen to a million more messages, but they're boring. There's nothing sexy about it. But him, oh, my God, he enraptures your heart. And you find him in the song, and you find him in the message, and you find him in the craving, and you find him in the faithfulness, and you just, you learn to block it all out, and you realize, I wasn't here to be entertained by whatever great program the pastors put together. I came because I was hungry for God. And oh my goodness, when that gets revitalized inside of you in such a fresh way, man, I'm telling you, this place cannot contain what God wants to do. And people won't come because of the incredible program. They'll come because there's a grace here for the desperate touch. 